smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I am here for a special podcast about the breaking Supreme Court decision today on LGBT rights. We're talking with uh, Jed Sugarman, who's a professor of law at Fordham University in New York City, author of the book, The People's Courts, and has two upcoming books, The Imaginary Unitary uh, Unitary Unitarian? Unitary. I think Imaginary I wrote Unitarian. Unitary. Unitary, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and The Rise of the Prosecutor Politicians. Uh, Jed, I've got to do a quick ad, and then we're going to jump right in because I thought it would be really interesting to tell people what happened in this case, what was the background in it, you, you know, uh, anyway, what the conservatives are going to be complaining about, et cetera. But first, a quick word from Omaha Steaks. I've got to put on my grandpa glasses. Uh, Omaha Steaks has a limited Father's Day offer that dad is sure to love when you go to omahasteaks.com, enter the code LIBERAL in the search bar, and save 55%. For $79.99, your summer sizzle pack for dad will include four naturally lean top sirloin steaks, hand-carved and aged 21 days for tenderness and flavor, four boneless chicken breasts, four gourmet jumbo franks and kielbasa sausages, a package of all beef meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes au gratin, four, this is a, this is a lot, <laughs> four caramel <laughs> apple tartlets, and an Omaha Steak signature seasoning packet. Dad will get all this delicious food, plus a free pound of steak cut bacon. That's the stuff that I like. Uh, this amazing gift is ready to be shipped straight to dad or to mom, I might add. Uh, door in time for Father's Day for $79.99. These packages come flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and delivered in a cooler with dry ice safely to your parents' door. All backed by Omaha Steaks' unconditional 100% money-back guarantee. It's a simple, delicious way to treat Dad this Father's Day. Don't wait. Go to omahasteaks.com and type in the code LIBERAL in the search bar to order the summer sizzle pack for Father's Day today. That's omahasteaks.com and type LIBERAL in the search bar. And I even had to double-check Father's Day is this Sunday. My dad's gone, so I have an excuse for not remembering, but... Father's Day is this coming Sunday, so be careful, kids. Um, so, Jed, um, remind me the name of the case for starters. Do you remember? Yeah, sure. Well, there are actually <laughs> three. There are three cases. Oh, well, correct. Yeah. And, and they were all grouped together. And in fact, so this one is called Bostock versus Clayton County. Right. Um, and uh, it was grouped together with two others, um, Altitude Express Incorporated versus Zarda. Um, and also, uh, and, and many people refer to it by the, the Harris Funeral Homes case. Right, and that was the transgender case. The first two were gay men, I believe. I think that's right. Yes, yep. that's right. And, and it also, it's worth noting that the, it makes sense to group this together as LGBT. Yep. But let me just say, the fact is that um, the LGB part could be distinguishable from the strength of the T part. That many people went into this case saying that the yep. transgender argument was even stronger that's than that's what LGBT. i thought yes right. yeah so e even though these cases were grouped together it was possible that the court could have found some kind of solomon splitting the baby um right. but the court didn't it was a it was a it was not shocking but it was uh i would say people did not know coming out of oral argument which way gorsuch would go well tell people first Actually, let's, okay, let's put the conclusion first. Tell people yep. what, and I'm just in a nutshell, what was decided, what is the national impact? And, but I Terrific. mean, really just a snippet. Yep. So the snippet is that there's a, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 has a section, has a title called Title VII, and it protects chiefly uh, discrimination against race and sex. That has been the statute since 1964. 
today it was decided that that statute protects lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people yep. from discrimination. And this is only in employment, correct? And it's only in employment, but keep in mind that employment rights extend beyond hiring and firing, uh, but also about um, hostile workplace, et cetera. Right, okay. And um, well, then I mean, walk me through this, because you said you've actually taught this case, or you taught the underlying cases in class at Fordham, and you know, you're up on the decision today, I'm a lawyer, but try to explain this for folks who aren't lawyers, but also aren't idiots. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb it down, but don't dumb it down is what I'm saying. Yeah. That, and that's maybe our most important uh, audience in 2020, right? You know? So, so absolutely. Well, our side, that's what I mean, our side, which is the not stupid side, but yeah. That's right. And let me also say, I've been talking about this case among lawyers and professors, and there is so much to dig into and so much, mm. so many questions. So there are lots of directions, but let me start by saying um, that uh, many people conflate originalism and textualism, but they're different, right? Okay, they both, both, both let of those me, concepts. Absolutely. Yep. So both those concepts, they're associated with conservative justices, and they're really associated with Scalia, who uh, wrote about, who, who was the proponent on the court for both of these methods. Right. And so I think it helps to differentiate between the two. In, and, how they, and how they come out differently, okay? So in constitutional law, Scalia and other conservatives say, you've gotta go with the original understanding or the original public meaning okay. from the constitution. And, that, and because the constitution is short, right? Because it only fits in a, if I could pull out, I actually usually carry a pocket constitution, but uh, I don't have it on me, but right. it has to, the whole idea of a constitution is that it has to be short. And so for originalists, they go to all kinds of historical documents to get the understanding at the time that goes beyond the text. So originalism is not textualism, hmm. right? Because the um, if it was just textual, you you don't have enough okay. In, okay. you don't have enough wording to go with words like. But originalism that. still means original intent at the time it was written. It, there are different flavors and okay. 1.0 and 2.0, but maybe the best way to say it is, and this might get more confusing before it gets more more. <laughs> Uh, understandable. The current interpretation of originalism is you go with the original public meaning of the Constitution. Now, here's why it gets more confusing oh. for a minute, okay? Right. Because when we talk about textualists, and this is in Gorsuch opi Gorsuch's opinion, they say, look for a statute, right? The Constitution is short, fits into a little pocket size, you know, it, it's, it's, in, it's remarkably short. Um, but when you talk about statutes, we expect Congress and legislatures to have lots of time to spell out everything they right, need. Right, right. The, the debate on the Senate floor, uh, committee hearings, though, that, so, that's what I would think of if I were looking at original intent. So, that's, so, this, yeah. so this is exactly the debate, because what Scalia says is you can't ever look at the committee hearings or the Ooh. debate on the floor you have to look at what they passed. The letter, because yeah. You have to look at the letter. And, and, <laughs> and Scalia's argument is that we have to be careful not to let judges um, put in their own values into the Constitution or into statutes. So you just have to stick to the original public meaning of both. For the Constitution, because it's short, you have right. to look at lots of history. But because, because um, statutes... Right. Have to be can be longer and more detailed. We want them to spell out what they mean 
we are going to look at only what they passed because that's okay. the only thing that's democratically legitimate. Okay, let me ask you this though, and I, I don't wanna just get into a discussion on originalism or whatever, which is interesting right. in, nonetheless, but what do people like Scalia, what would people like Scalia say if I said, look, I worked on Capitol Hill, I wrote legislation, um, you know, I've been reading the Paycheck Protection Act and already found errors with the implementation of it. Uh, it's a whole crazy thing, but the way they calculated the paycheck protection money, for example, they based it on a year salary, one month, multiply that one month times 2.5. When, get this though, when they require you to pay a certain amount for salary that's forgivable, the max you can provide in salary is eight weeks salary, not, not two months salary. So they base the salary they give you on two months, they base the salary you can spend as a recipient on eight weeks, which is not two months. There are more than 12, eight, uh, four week periods in a year. So the legislation and the interpretation are frankly screwed up. But here's yes. my question. Here's my question yes, for Scalia. Right. For Scalia, I would say, okay, then what do you do if the legislation is confusing because it wasn't clear, somebody who drafted it was a moron? What do you do? <laughs> and it turns or, out that happens all the time. Right. Uh, right, because, the, because we know what Congress looks like. Right. So what, so there are ways of, of looking at the text. Scalia's perspective, I mean, does he just say we don't do anything? So Scalia's perspective is, first of all, we have to tell Congress that if they write stupid legislation, we're going to hold them to it. And that's the only way we're going to incentivize. That's Scalia's approach is, if they're, we're, we get- Hold them to the letter and they can fix it if they want. And if they want to fix it, let Congress, Congress can fix things more easily than we can amend the constitution. And it's better than having judges Having elected officials <laughs> fix mistakes is better than judges thinking that they're fixing mistakes when judges okay. aren't elected. Okay. So it's it is coherent. The devil, it turns out, is in the details and in and right. in the sincere interpretation. So let right. me pivot there to I think what's remarkable about this case, Bostock, because many people thought that Gorsuch, a conservative, he's not a libertarian, he's not Kennedy, he has no record of gay rights cases, um, and his record is of um, criticizing a lot of the things that were the basis of previous gay rights decisions. He was critical of the constitutional, he's a critic of the constitutional basis of the, of Obergefell, the basis for gay marriage. And he's, uh, he's a federalism, you know, small federal government states rights kind of conservative. So many people thought, well, he's also a textualist, but it's unpredictable given that range of, and given what he said in oral argument, he, he signaled that he thought that the word sex is, has a broad meaning, and when Congress chose sex, you gotta hold them to it, even if they meant something narrow, right. they chose the word sex. Right. And, um, and he, but he also said in oral argument, this opens up things, this opens up um, an enormous set of, uh, uh, of, of results and social change, and is this the right way to go about social change? And that was the way he talk, talked about it, conservatives. So maybe it makes sense for us to pause and just look at the basis of the decision, Gorsuch says you just have to start with the text of the statute. So maybe I think it makes sense for us just right. to start there. Um, you so, know what, let me, yeah. look, okay, I was gonna do an ad in a couple minutes and I'm sorry folks, but we've told, I think I just told you this before the show, when we do these episodes where half the episode is public and half is behind a paywall, we've got to squeeze the ads into the first half. So I apologize, but let me right. do another quick ad because otherwise I was gonna cut you off in three minutes and this sounds like a perfect break 
Great. So that, you know, cause I don't want to get good. you in the middle of a run basically. This is so, perfect. Okay. Yeah, quick great. ad folks. Um, oops. Hello. As my, as my zoom takes over my screen, stop that. All right. Second ad plexiderm zoom meetings with coworkers and clients are great. So you notice that those bags under your eyes and deep wrinkles, which is very true. Let me tell you, these cameras catch everything. Now imagine they're gone. No risky, expensive surgery, just gone in minutes. It's called Plexaderm with an A, Plexaderm. A clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under eye bags all in the comfort of your own home. Plexaderm is the solution for Zoom meeting eyes. The um, uh, Plexaderm can give you confidence you'll need to be great on Zoom meetings or FaceTiming with friends. They'll be surprised when they see you this summer. The best part is Plexaderm goes on clear and lasts for hours, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. Go to triplexaderm, that's P-L-E-X-A-D-E-R-M.com, and use the code VOICES for half off a full-size bottle of Plexaderm plus an additional $10 off. That's half off plus an extra $10 off, or call 800 685 one two nine two and mention the code voices plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee visit triplexiderm.com and use your code voices that code is voices and it's triplexiderm.com okay now you are going to uh what were you going to take us into i was i was going to go to the basis uh where every textualist says you have to start and finish Okay. which is the, the, the statute itself. And again, right? this is the Scalia. When you say textualist, this is, again, the Scalia argument, which is the most narrow interpretation. Yeah, so, so and I, I, I'm not saying this is the way that Scalia would have gone, right? Okay. Gorsuch replaced Scalia, and this is Gorsuch's version of textualism. <clears throat> okay. But, so, so, but this is where he starts with the statute, and I'm going to focus on some key words here. So the language of Title VII is that it is, quote, unlawful, for an employer to fail or refuse to hire or to discharge any individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation, terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of such individuals' race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. So the key words are because of sex and the word discriminate. Okay. So that's where Gorsuch goes to, and he says you have to just stick to those words and you open up a dictionary and understand what those words meant from a, in a dictionary from 1964. Right. And Gorsuch says the key is understanding their ordinary public meaning. Same phrase from originalism, but in this case, the original public meaning is you have to look at the words that Congress actually passed right. and how they were understood at the time. So you might say, well, how does that not mean you look at what, those, what this law would have been understood to mean in 1964? And Gorsuch says, no, you don't look at the expected application. You don't look at what they thought the law would apply to. You look at the words they chose. So that's the way that he responds to the dissenters and to the, the arguments that the employers make. And they say, in 1964, all they meant was, you know, they were focused on race and sex like male and female. And Gorsuch says, no, they use the word sex on purpose. And so, John, let me, I, I have a favorite paragraph, okay. which I think is, tells you a lot. And it's colorful. And it actually invokes and responds to Scalia when Scalia is used as an argument against um, against the court here. So, so there's a phrase, let me give you the background, is that the phrase that, that, that some people say 
that you can't find elephants um, in mouse holes. You can't find elephants in mouse holes, which is a warning against finding massive change in a statute that wasn't trying to create massive change. Right. So, right. so the argument is that by finding LGBT rights in a statute from 1964, you're finding an elephant in a mouse hole. In a, in a, in a mouse hole. <laughs> I, I'm in Massachusetts, so I used it. <laughs> I, <miss> it. <laughs> I said mouse hole. I hope I can say that on a podcast. Um, so, Canada uh, hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he says. Uh, so this is what Gorsuch says. But where's the mouse hole? Title VII's prohibition of sex discrimination in employment is a major piece of federal civil rights legislation. It is written in starkly broad terms. It, it has repeatedly produced unexpected applications, at least in view of those on the receiving end of them. Congress's key drafting choices to focus on discrimination against individuals uh, and not merely between groups and to hold employers liable wherever sex is a but-for cause of the plaintiff's injuries, virtually guaranteed that unexpected applications would emerge over time. Here's the key sentence. Hmm. This elephant has never hidden in a mouse hole. It has been standing before us all along. Which is really, but, but that's also incredibly broad in terms of potential future cases too, right? Well, so that's right. So, so at some point, I'm not you know, sure what there that may would be, be other but, applications. But it's, yeah. So let me say, I mean, I think what he's saying here is Congress, let's just, just as you said before, John, when you say, well, what happens if Congress makes mistakes, right? right. And they, and, and Scalia's approach says, look, if they choose wording, that was a mistake, you have to hold Congress to it and you can't rewrite it. And Gorsuch, Gorsuch is saying here is, look, if you think that the word sex meant something narrower, then Congress could have written something differently. Maybe it was a mistake for the 1964 Congress, if they wanted to never, you know, if they wanted this statute to never apply to LGBT issues, right. they could have written it more narrowly, but they didn't. Oh, now, that, they, now that's a fair point, though. You're right. They knew who gays were. They hated us back then. They could have mentioned, and by the way, don't you dare. Yeah. Yeah. Stonewall is a, a four years later. Yeah. But yeah. people, but this issue is out there. So, John, here's a really interesting twist when it comes to legislative history here. The language of sex got into the statute because racist Southerners were trying to yeah. trying to create votes. It was called a poison pill. Right. So there was this famous racist in Virginia named in his name his name turned out to be Judge Smith. I don't know if it's like Judge Reinhold, um, but right, but right. they called him Judge Smith. He was such a racist that when um, when they were trying to pass an earlier civil rights bill, he said, you know, he was a chairman of a committee and he said, oh. I just found out my bar my barn burned down, so I've got to go back to my house in Virginia. And he left and and shut down the committee for months because and, and right. so and so a northern Democrat said, I knew Judge Smith was opposed to, to civil rights. I didn't realize he burned down his barn. Barn to, to do it, yeah. Right, so that's a, he was right. a barn burner. So right. look, the story, if we want to go by legislative history or right. or, or the intended meaning, the word sex only gets into the statute in 1964. Because Southerners want, they think that no Northern, they think Northerners are more sexist than their pro-civil rights. Well, you know what's funny, actually? Look at that argument. Therefore, the original intent was not to cover sex at all. Ex that's exactly right. right. The, the original, <laughs> so if you look at the author, that's the point, right. is that this is one of the problems with trying to figure out legislative history. One thing happens is, you know, the stories of how text gets into statutes, those stories are complicated. Yep. 
what do you do with a poison pill? Here's yeah. the other problem that Scalia says. There is so much legislative history out there that Scalia said or, or quoted another judge in saying, it's like walking into a party and finding your friends. You can all, you know, you only, you might only have a few friends there, but you can find them. And that is the selectivity there. Right. Here's the other problem. I worked on um, a, for a lobbying group, a liberal lobbying group fighting welfare reform. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, I wrote a speech for I did a t- with at the time. What's that? I did too. I was at Children's Defense Fund at that time. Oh, I was at the Religious Action Center. Oh, in, funny. Uh, okay. In summer of 95. Yeah. Yep. So I wrote, uh, I wrote up a speech for a congressman. He never, he was supposed to give it on the floor. He never gave it, but he just inserted it in, into the congressional oh, correct, record. Correct. Right? This right. happens all the time. Right. Well, so what do you, I mean, that tells you what one congressman was thinking, but we Thank imagine you. when you read the legislative history and you see these reports and you see these speeches that they right. were actually part of a debate. Right. Congressmen know how to manipulate the legislative history right. to insert things, right. not poison pills, but you know the good pill they sneak into the right. statute. So let, I just want to say, I think Scalia has a valid point, and Gorsuch follows it here by saying, we want to look at the text. So, so okay, right. so the point here is, let's say Congress never intended this to apply to lesbians, gay, bisexual, and ne- never even really understood what transgender was about. Right. They could have written the statute narrowly. Gorsuch is saying, when they write it broadly, you have to be true to the broad choice that they made in the text. You know, one thing that was interesting, and this I think was in uh, what they're calling it, the syllabus or whatever, the first part of the decision. Um, I'm pretty sure, because I was reading through your excerpts or I was reading the decision itself, that one of the examples Gorsuch gives is how applying sex discrimination to men meaning that men can be sexually discriminated against is something that the, they would have never thought of in 1964, but today we accept that as real. So actually, you know what? I'd yeah. go one step, I'd go one step further. This is going to be very polemical. It's not going to be polemical to you and me as lawyers, as liberal lawyers, but to some people out there, I've had fights on Twitter about this. Guess what folks? Racial discrimination includes discrimination against white people because you don't hire them because they're white. And oh my God, the arguments I've had on Twitter with people go, that's not true. <laughs> like, oh yes, it now again, that would not have been the original intent. Right? Right. Just like so men. It turns out, yeah, would have that's right. that men would have been discriminated against sexually. It would have been women. So so this is a huge part. I mean, so so we have there's a whole line of cases, John, about yeah. because the, because that's exactly what what, what and actually I would throw but I would throw sexual orientation and transgender in that same boat. That, that's that, right. That there's another side of the coin that you weren't thinking of, but it was the same coin. That so that's right. You and know? so it turns out so there's a whole. I, so when I teach this class, I teach a class called legislation and regulation, right. and we start with this bill. We start with the statute and we mainly, and we play it out by race. Title seven, you mean? We, t- we start yep. with Title seven and yep. the history, we start with the history of how it got passed and this poison pill. And we start with race and we, and then we start applying it to affirmative action. And many um, judges found that when they started getting cases, they got to catch 22 because on the one hand, the federal government required, uh, complying with the statute meant adopting certain affirmative action policies to correct for past discrimination. And then white plaintiffs came and said those affirmative, you're, you can't discriminate because of race. So that so so judges had to judges always have to figure out with a statute when there are ambiguities how to deal with those ambiguities. And and it, it's complicated, right? So so there are a number of ways we can go down this path. Um, John, here let me start with one point about the line of statutes about discrimination against men, and explain why actually this 
this decision is not just a textual decision. Gorsuch shows that it falls in line with a series of past decisions about sexual harassment, discrimination against women, and discrimination against men um, because of things like stereotypes or hostility. Um, there was a case about male-on-male sexual harassment in a case called On Cali right. uh, from 20 years ago, from 19, yep. uh, 1998. I think I remember that one. Wasn't, that wasn't some oil rig or something, was it? Yes, it was. It was I think it was I oil vaguely rig. remembered something, it yeah. Was, it was yeah. oil riggers. It was a bunch of you know manly men. Imagine, I was just going to say, you might as well be lumberjacks if you're really going to make it a, you know. That, and it's not yeah. clear what this, you know, it's not clear. There's a subtext, speaking right. of textualism, there's a subtext of, what, what, what was one of these men gay? Were the men, do, you know, what, right. or was he effeminate or what, right. or was it, or, right. and what was the hostile workplace? Right. Now right. it's, it's not as if the 1964, if they didn't mean for the word sex to get there in the first place, but they certainly were not thinking about an oil rig right. and, and masculinity. You know, can I just say real quick, that's yeah. funny, not when we won't go on too much of a tangent, but that's also a fascinating issue with any of the gay discrimination cases, because you get into this weird issue of, well, uh, they'll they'll try the bad guys will try to say I didn't fire you because you were gay I fired you because you were effeminate exactly I fired you because you embarrassed us in front of clients because you were too right. flaming I didn't care who you slept with and that was so right? John this is so I want to say so it's your personality I didn't like and it turns out that yeah. that is one of the most important cases in this decision because it's about sex stereotypes so so let me just walk you quickly through yeah. a couple of precedents that build up to this case and Gorsuch not only you know <laughs> lays down the hammer on textualism, he uses the precedents to say this is a natural outgrowth. So first of all, there's nothing in the 1964 Civil Rights Act about workplace sexual harassment or about, um, so one So one line of cases says, it's not just about discriminating, it's not just about the employer discriminating on the basis of hiring and firing because of sex. Another aspect of discrimination is creating a hostile workplace. So that was a sexual harassment comes out of the statute, even though it says right. nothing about it specifically. Right. So that's one big change. Oh, and by the way, put this in the back of your head. My lawyer friend told me to ask you about equal opportunity sexual harassment. Sorry, we'll finish your thing. Yeah, but, sorry, but, I, 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 I forgot okay. to, to disable this. So yes. But, uh, but yeah, I'm supposed to ask yeah, you about equal opportunity sexual harassment and how this decision affects that. I, I mean, harass women, I harass, I'm, I'm bisexual and I harass everybody. So is it sexual harassment? Because so, I harass everybody. I don't pick women, I don't discriminate against women or men. So, so what's, that's a, it's an amazing uh, twist that we don't have a specific Supreme okay. Court case about I'll that. Tell them. But, but we now, but, but <laughs> yeah. John, you're saying where else can, what could we be coming up with next here? The yeah. next decision could, could address this by saying that sexual harassment in the nature of sex by you know, intercourse, even if it's not male, female, but it's equal opportunity, it's an extension of, it's another understanding of the word sex, right? If, okay. if male on male harassment, so let me walk through, because I think this, uh, this might be the okay. next place to go with understanding how this approach can get broader in the future. So, okay. so we start with a case, and the, uh, there's a lot of debate about a case called Phillips versus Martin Marietta. And the, in that case, this is like, Five or six years after the this the the 1964 Civil Rights Act gets passed, an employer hires a man with small children, but not a woman with small children. Okay, and you know it, the the employer says, "I don't care, male female. I just know that mothers with small children are more distracted just by looking at society." And and the truth is, in our society where mothers do more parenting than fathers, it is a sociological fact that one, that one could or one could predict 
that hiring a woman with oh, small children in 1970 or 1972 right. may is predictably statistically yep. right think but still with a stereotype right. the court says you can't you, that you're discriminating on the basis of sex right even if you say even if the defendant says you know we're actually trying to be pro woman here right we right, think right. motherhood is important. You can't, just because you intend to be pro-woman and just because there's an, a plus factor, Gorsuch talks a lot about this case. And he says, um, motherhood is just sex plus ha- having kids. Right. It's still on the basis of sex, right? So that's one well, case. But you know what's, okay, this is funny you said that because that was one of the questions I had for my, my, my other lawyer friend. Because I said, we were sort of getting into this discussion and I was asking him, I said, then how do, for example, and this is one of the issues we had on the gay thing overall, in terms of how gay applied to this case. I remember years ago talking to friends and just that, we were thinking, yeah, on trans, this case we may win, but on the gay thing, we were a little more worried because we were afraid the courts would look at gay as being almost a condition rather than gender. And yeah. and then I started asking, well, but then isn't being pregnant a condition rather than gender? Because I love to hire women. I just don't hire women who are pregnant. But if a woman's not pregnant, she's in. So I don't have a problem with women. So that's so right? you so this is exactly what I was saying in the beginning, where transgender is a is stronger as a textual matter, yeah. even if it's weaker in terms of what the original expectations were. Right. So transgender is you you were given one sex at birth, and it turns out that you're the sexual adet your sex. By the way, identity. that itself is gonna be a bad definition, but just go ahead. What I'm saying is it gets really complicated trying to explain what you were at birth with trans stuff. So I apologize in advance to everybody. We're both going to probably screw this up. But, yes, but, uh, we're, yes. All, we're all learning here. Yes. Maybe you were, assi- but, you were assigned but, but, of, of gender yes. at birth. They Society, would that's right. Society assigned you a sex yeah, at birth and, and one's own sexual identity right. is different from society or the government's assignment there you of, go. of your yep. sex at birth. And that's all about sex. Sexual orientation is, there's a debate, right? So. Yep. So this is so. Let me just walk through the case, especially since sexual orientation also applies to both sexes. That's right. right. So I'm not, and, and an yeah. employer says I'm not discriminating against men or women. Yeah. I just discriminate against gay people, and gay right. is the gay is the thing that they say right. that they are against. I discriminate so, against sloppy people who don't who don't bathe when they come to work. And it, but it, what if it right. turns out that the sloppy people that you have different expectations for what's sloppy for men versus sloppy for women? Okay, so that takes well, and that does actually, and that does get into the whole dress code issue and everything else. Correct. It's, that Remember, and, yeah. and what counts as hair? A uh, now hair for race? How's that for? Well, so that we have there's a case about that. I was gonna say this is a law school class right here because so, this is the part I loved about law school where we're trying to. I had a property professor, uh, Chusid at Georgetown, who was. I hated law school in general. I, after the first, <laughs> no, I loved the first year and then I got bored to death. Yes, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Chusid was my property guy and his thing was thinking through crazy what ifs. You know, right. the river, totally. who owns the river? Well, what happens if the river freezes? Do you own the ice in your portion of the river? But what if it affects the guy next to you? Because now when it falls, there's no water. And it was less, but anyway, but something like this, yeah, it, it's, sorry, go on. But you got me so thinking that, of a tangent That's on exactly that. yeah. right. I mean, we all, we're all trying to, I mean, this, it's not just a crazy hypothetical to, as, a, as, a, uh, as a game. 
Yeah. It's all, we're always, whenever a judge is thinking about how to make, how to decide a case, we all know that that case leads to another case, right? So you've and got so, the, it's playing chess. You've got to plan 10 steps in advance. Absolutely. So you say, how will this case affect other cases? And, and, and in yeah. some ways people thought that Gorsuch might not go with the, with the plaintiffs and the LGBT side because he was gaming out. He Why said, the hell did Gorsuch, let alone Roberts, although Roberts has been interesting on the gay stuff. He's also been interesting on the ACA. Why the hell did Gorsuch come? Or do you think he was just a closet sympathizer? <laughs> are, I mean, you, are you invoking the closet here? I know. A, well, the <laughs> closet straight sympathizer. No, so <laughs> I, that's, mean, I think he's... I, I think he's a sincere textualist here. I mean, I, I think that- He literally he just is, looked at it and said, look, I may not be for these people, but this is what the law right. says. He's not, he's not Kennedy. I mean, I've, I've been debating this with people today that say, oh, Gorsuch is just a libertarian and he's just choosing gay rights because he's right. a libertarian. He's no, he's no libertarian. He sides with presidential power. He, he's, he sides, but otherwise he sides with federalism and small government in this case. Right. Siding with with small federal government and big state government means going against libertarianism. So ultimately, he I think his what he showed is, um, and, and also look his background as being a religious conservative overall um, is is part of his background. It doesn't seem likely that this was the um, this was the direction. And also, he's a major critic of the textual basis for, as I said before, the constitutional basis for gay for gay marriage. So this is not part of his hmm. jurisprudence. Um, but he, this is his textualism, right? And so I think that he, I think this is a sincere method, methodological commitment. Hmm. Now, let me also say it is possible for, for textualists to say that the ordinary public meaning of the word sex means that, you know, even if you don't look at legislative history, you just look at the culture of 1964, you right, look right. at the understanding of sex in 1964, and you could still, without legislative history and poison pills, et cetera, still say this is what they meant. But, but keep in mind, so this is, right. when they choose this word sex, Gorsuch is saying they chose a broad word. I'm going to look at the dictionaries from 1964, and even if they didn't expect this to apply to gay rights or transgender, right. the word is broad enough. And so here, so, so the, the case that you're talking about with sex stereotypes, let's just, they first- And then they, you know what? And then uh, maybe yeah. make a quick point, because I've got to do our final ad, and yeah. then we're done with the ads. So the final, so the, the And then we'll come back that, to this. So, so they, we talked about the motherhood case, where they said that's sex discrimination. They talk, we talked about the men-on-men men discrimination. Right. They also, there's a case called um, uh, uh, Price Waterhouse versus Cooper, where they said a, a woman was fired because, not because she was a woman, but because she was too masculine and aggressive. And right. the court oh, said- that, that's the kind of thing I was asking, yeah. And the court said, that's a kind of dis sex discrimination. And if sex stereotypes right. are discrimination, so are our, uh, our stereotypes about who should love whom. And so that's a natural right. extension to She wasn't guys. meeting, uh, the phrase that I, uh, I often hear is gender expectations. She was yeah. not meeting our gender expectations by being butch. Or like and we said, the guy being too effeminate, my gender expectation is that he acts blah, 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 blah. Exactly. Dressed in a certain way. Racial expectation, well, that, that the whole question on hair, it gets fascinating too. Let me do a quick ad and our final ad, folks, and then we will come back and continue. Uh, here we go. Uh, states, public health departments, and businesses are increasingly suggesting, if not requiring, the wearing of face masks. It's the smart, practical thing to wear if you have a reason to leave your home. A mask is a responsible way to protect yourself, your family, and your community. Our friends at thecleanphone.com now have KN95 masks that are ready to ship. 
These masks are rated to, oh, that's good. I didn't even know that. Uh, these masks are rated to filter 95% plus and are certified to FFP2 standards. Go to thecleanphone.com and order your 10-pack of KN95 masks today. Add the code SEXYLIBERAL to the drop-down box for free shipping. Getting face masks into the hands of as many people as possible is an important next step in living with the virus. Get KN95 masks for you, your family, your neighbors, and friends. If you go outside, you should wear a face mask. Go to thecleanphone.com. That's thecleanphone.com. And order your 10-pack of masks today. And for free shipping, remember the code SEXYLIBERAL. All righty. We are done with the ads. Um, yeah. And I didn't, I mean, I don't want to get into sort of every decision today, but, but like I said, I know there have been uh, issues recently with expectations of what African-American workers hair should look like, right? In the workplace. So that's also right. And there's so, so we haven't gotten. But has that been clearly decided as as racial discrimination or not? I remember there was a, in law school, we read a case about a, a, um, a worker who wore cornrows and a fast food restaurant, I believe it was in Georgia, (laughs) said that, um, you know, they had a rule against cornrows. And even though it's possible for white people, you know, there's some white right. people who have cornrows, it was a, um, there's, what was the distinction about cornrows? They said, well, it looked sloppy or it looked, well, in fact, cornrows right. are, are a, you know, they're a tight hair style. They're this, this, it, it, arguably, it seems like wearing cornrows is a cleaner kind of, of look. So, but it wasn't explicitly about race. And so that was a decision in the 90s. And I have to, I, I don't think the Supreme Court has addressed that squarely. Oh, but, I, okay. but John, you were, you were mentioning Roberts and this was the surprise right. because, so, so this decision was not, just, was, was not five to four, it was six to three. Um, and, the, and the dissents, John, are enormous. The, each dissent is longer than the majority opinion. This is one advantage of, of textualism is when you're arguing about what words mean in dictionaries, you don't have to look at all of this evidence in the world and, and cherry pick. Okay. Um, but the thing about Roberts, you mentioned the ACA. And so this is... This yeah, is well, I saw from, you mentioning online and I got a little confused. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that. So I, so let me see if I can take a step back and make so the this... The Affordable Care again, Act. Yep. The Affordable Care Act. And see, I'm going to try and make this, this debate clear to the non-lawyer smart person in your audience. Um, okay. So, so the challenge in the ACA, in, in, there are two ACA cases, right? There was one about the individual mandate and Roberts last minute. There, it was a five to four vote right. in, in conference in, 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 after the oral argument to strike down the ACA's individual right. mandate. And Roberts changes his vote with a you know, month to go and, and yeah. cobbles together this opinion. It comes out actually before they fixed all the words. So you can actually tell that the opinions were, hmm. were juggled. And um, so, so but that was the first case. Okay, because that case strikes down the, the, the Medicare funding, the expectation was that the Medicare funding would be a, a huge carrot and stick to get all the states to jump on board. And now without that Medicare funding from that case, there's a 7-2 vote to, to say you can't use Medicare funding as the, it's too big a carrot and a stick. Um, what happens is then states are, are free not to create their exchanges, and then everyone's relying on the federal exchange. So then here's the problem, John, in that case. The statute that created those exchanges doesn't refer to federal exchanges. It referred to state exchanges. Hmm. But if, but there, but so where did the federal exchange come from? How but, could they create a national federal exchange? Right, but I mean, yeah, go on. I was going to say, but the federal exchange is a state exchange because if your state doesn't have an exchange, the feds take over and the same rules apply. Except, so it, so it, it is the same thing, essentially, right? Except that but, but there's no, but the statute that creates exchanges 
referred only to state exchanges. And when and what's right. and so John, what's the ordinary meaning of the word state? Now, maybe if you are like a right. political right. science, right. maybe if you're reading political theory from like you know Germany in the 19th century, I mean, you know okay. that the, the word state, the state, state is the is federal, like right, right, public. But that's right. not the ordinary meaning. Even if you can find, even if you can, like the ordinary meaning of in, in our statutes is federal versus state, right? So, so the problem is that this was a clear text where the ordinary meaning only allows states to do it. And we actually know that many people in Congress wanted it to be a state thing because they wanted Obamacare to fit into a federalism state, you know, a decentralized framework of private employers. Um, it was, you know, it was fitting into a, a decentralized system as opposed to Medicare for all. So this challenge comes up that, and if you wiped out, but the thing is, if you've wiped out the federal exchanges, there would have been catastrophic uh, results from the mix of you know require all of the requirements of Obamacare without a federal exchange. Right. So Roberts writes an opinion um, uh, that says that the word state doesn't really mean state. That if you look at the purposes and the background and the and right. the way that Obamacare came into it, it, it was passed, you have to understand that the word state has to also include the word federal. So that was an anti-textualist move, right. anti-textualist decision with Kennedy, it was a six to, also six to three, but that relied on mainly looking at the big picture purposes of the statute and also some legislative history. Right. How does Roberts, so the big question was, you know, it, was, it seemed obvious that Roberts would have to be then as committed to legislative history as opposed, and purposes as opposed to textualism, that in this case, He'd have to say, well, this is what they meant, or these were the purposes of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. So the challenge is, so Roberts joins this opinion, even though it seems to contradict where he's been methodologically. I can make an argument, if we want to go a little bit down this rabbit hole, mouse hole, with an elephant, right? Um, but uh, Roberts had a duty to write a concurrence here, to explain this apparent contradiction. I can I can explain it for Roberts. I can find parts in Gorsuch's opinion where I can make up some explanations, but I think Roberts abdicated his responsibility to explain how he could come out methodologically one side with Obamacare a couple of years ago and and methodologic. It just seems like you know he was not he 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 dropped the ball, right? I mean, he really should. Now I can I can tell you what I think happens here is. Gorsuch's textualism, when he talks about language that's broad, it when it's about the word discriminate and sex, he analyzes those words sex and discriminate in broad enough terms that it invokes purposes. And Roberts could sit here if we could talk to him, you know, behind closed doors or in a closet, if you, so to speak. Right. Um, he might say, "Look, I, I see that I see the word sex and discrimination as the as where Congress was." Um, implicitly invoking broader purposes, and that's consistent. So that's the way to understand um, how this case comes out here. To hear the rest of this episode, become a premium subscriber to the Unprecedented Podcast by going to patreon.com slash unprecedentedpodcast. And with a $5 a month or more subscription, you not only support the show, but you get access to this episode and all of our premium episodes, including all of our great guests. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your support.